Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio today is Christian Brown. Uh, He is an old friend of mine, an animator and a writer with no prior podcast experience. Christian, hi. Hi, how's it going, Mallory? It's going fantastic. It's it's so fun to have you on the show. I think uh, our listeners would be tickled to know that the first time you and I met, uh, we met in a bar and you almost invited me to your wedding the next two days. I, I think they'd be tickled. And Mallory, I don't know if you're aware, my five-year wedding anniversary is next week, which makes this my five-year you anniversary. Holy cats. We've been pals for five years. That is fantastic. I know. I'm delighted. I have gotten to learn so much about DIY home projects from you and <laughs> your wonderful for. wife. Um, yeah, and it's been a rich and abiding friendship. I've gotten to know uh, your wife and your many pets and your many your, pets. your deck projects. Yeah, I, and I got to say, I'm a little disappointed that you weren't able to bring any nail gun related questions to the table for this podcast, but I will see if I can muddle through. <laughs> I should have gone through the inbox and just done like a control F search for dad or DIY, <laughs> um, and just seeing what came up. But yeah, for whatever reason, we do not get a lot of like DIY-related uh, questions here on the podcast. Shocking, but, you know, you work with the material you get. You do, you do. But yes, if anybody does have questions about, I don't know, uh, I, 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 I couldn't even think of a funny word that was related <laughs> to home repair because I've never repaired anything in my life. I own a hammer. My mother bought it for me. I keep it under the kitchen sink. I've never sure, used for it. for emergencies, for like whacking a, a pest on the head. I think she wanted me to use it to like hang pictures, but I just had my sister hang my pictures for me, which is very nice of my <laughs> like, sister. Like a much larger and more expensive hammer. 100% if one of my pictures fell down like in an earthquake, I would call someone to rehang the pictures, like a uh, professional. Well, you, know, you could always call me, Mallory. That's the sort of relationship we have. Um, okay, so the reason that I wanted you in on the opening riff is partly just selfish. That would be fun. But I also got a letter yesterday that reminded me of something that happens to me with less frequency now, but has happened like enough in my life that I think it is a thing. And I'm curious to know if you've ever seen this happen or heard of this happening. I don't imagine it's happened to you because I think it's pretty gendered, but we'll see. So sure. somebody had written and, in... But I'm pretty worldly. You never know. Let's see. <laughs> you are very worldly. You are you are a well-traveled man. You're like a male Carmen Sandiego, a law-abiding <laughs> Carmen Sandiego. Carlos Sandiego. That's what they call me. <laughs> so th- this, this woman wrote in and sh- her issue was sort of um, well-intended politeness that was actually more inconvenient. She, like, worked at a tech company where there were more men than women, and often, she said, like, on the elevator, guys will wait and kind of insist that I exit first, um, even to the point that they will, like, awkwardly hug the wall and kind of gesture for me to go in a way that, like, I don't always know that it's happening. It's actually kind of inconvenient, and, and it makes me feel weird. I wish they wouldn't do it. Um, and so I was kind of addressing that specifically with her and, and sort of pointing out the point of etiquette or chivalry or any of those things should be it makes things easier, right? You sure. are smoothing over some sort of physical or social interaction and making it a little easier for someone else. And so it's always the worst when someone like gets rid of the spirit of the law and just goes to the letter like, oh, I will inconvenience everyone. Like, way more. that I'm aware of the ways in which one might be convenienced by this. Yes. So, like, for example, I remember, I, I went to, as, as you remember, uh, like, a very conservative college in suburban mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And I, I noticed this, I think, kind of for the first time there, but I've seen it in other areas of my life. Uh, I'm a fan of door opening. I think it's nice when people open doors for others. If someone wants to open a door for me, I'm thrilled. Um, sure. And And generally, like... Uh, I will do my best. If somebody's like right behind me, I'll hold the door open for them. Occasionally, if I'm like right in front of a big group of people, I will, you know, stand and hold the door open and let them in. I always like it when people do it for me. It's nice. That's because you're a chivalrous lady. I I I think chivalry can be great. Um, <laughs> but I started to notice that occasionally, um, not infrequently, I would hold open a door. And if the person behind me was a guy and like a specific type of guy, it seemed 
it would throw it would it would be so unacceptable to him that he would stop and say no 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 let me and insist that I let go of the door <laughs> that he would take my place and I would sure. then walk around him and go in like he he had to switch places with me he could not accept someone opening a door for him and it was always every time it happened it was astonishing i was just like this is incredible. Have you ever seen this happen? Have you ever seen a man refuse I have absolutely to seen it happen? I can actually, I can, I don't want to say I can one up you because, but <gasps> no, as, please. As a man, I feel like we could all agree that I am less affected by the vagaries of uh, chivalry. And I mean, I just want to point out this is not this has not harmed me in any way. Like I'm fine. Right. I just find it incredible. But I, I have, I, I have um, experienced men starting to hold the door open for whoever might be following, presumably in the expectation that it is a beautiful lady, looking uh-huh. over their shoulder, seeing that it is not a beautiful lady, but it is me, and then sort of hurriedly throwing the door shut behind them. Oh, my God. That I might accidentally think that they were being chivalrous towards me. Fend like, whoa, 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 whoa. for yourself. Sorry, buddy. I know you can open a door, and then they slam it. Yeah, which is amazing. Like, well, I would have held this door open for any woman alive, <laughs> but um, as for you, get out. Like, just, I'm slamming it in your face. No, it's wild. Like, I don't yeah, even... know. And I also, again, like you said, it's sort of like, what are the, what is your stated goal here to make people's lives easier? Well, perhaps slamming doors or making people dance around you or, you know, awkwardly holding elevators for people such that they have to sidle past you like they're crab walking is maybe not the best way to achieve that stated goal. And you should reconsider the way that you're going about the things you think are important. Yes, I, I am right there with you. If you have ended up in a situation where you are slamming doors in people's faces or <laughs> forcing someone to do something that takes more time and energy, um, maybe you are not actually being polite at all. Maybe. That's, that's maybe. what you think about. Yeah, just if someone holds the door open for you, go for it. Uh, all right, so <laughs> let's just jump into the lettering today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read our first letter, uh, and then we can trade off. I'm so excited uh, that you printed these out and took notes, and I wish so much <laughs> that you were... I numbered them so I wouldn't you get You numbered them. Okay, good, good. I really wish that I could see it, but, uh, you, you know, can. just That's send me a picture podcast. later. I could be lying. You have no idea. It's true. I have absolutely no idea. You could be anywhere. So the subject line of this one is just values conflict. Um, Dear Prudence, my mother-in-law, Bev, is a kind woman, and our nine-year-old daughter adores her. Bev has no interest in careers, higher education, or any achievements other than raising a family. Unfortunately, she communicates that to her grandchildren, especially the girls. My daughter has come home from her house saying things like, Grandma said I shouldn't worry about grades because someday I'll be a great mom. And Grandma told me I don't need to go to college. Bev says parenting is more important than studying and that it's better to be a, quote-unquote, real mom on welfare than to work full-time. I went to an Ivy League school, and I'm successful in my field. I know that Bev badmouths me as a parent, but I'm mostly concerned about my daughter. Now Bev wants to care for her full-time after school. I'm worried that my daughter will lose interest in learning and outside activities. We can afford other child care, but my husband is concerned about hurting his mom's feelings. I want my daughter to be whoever she wants to be, but I also want her to know that while being mom is a glorious thing, so is exploring the rest of the world and being independent. I don't want to demean Bev to our daughter, but I want to raise her as a feminist. How do I say no to free childcare without getting into a values-laden battle? I think I I have some bad news for this letter writer. I think it's good news. Um, (laughs) But you're in a values-laden battle (laughs) <laughs> and you should not try to avoid it. Like that ship yeah. has sailed. The 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 well, battle free ship is gone. You're in a battle, and you should want to put on the uniform. The battle has begun. You've yeah, pick up your shield, friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean this is pretty. I, I've had questions in the past from people who said like we have grandparents who are mostly lovely, but have some ideas that we don't want to pass on to our kids. And generally, if it's like, oh, they see their grandparents, you know, once a month or a couple times a year, um, and it's not something really horrifying, they're sort of like, well, you know, give them a different message at home. And as they grow up, they will be able to distinguish uh, between messages and kind of make their own decisions. Um, but this is this is pretty big. This is I want to look after your kid every day after school uh, and also just let her know that college is for chumps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the thing that I think, well, first of all, uh, anytime you start off something by saying uh, so-and-so is kind, 
like as your first sentence, I'm immediately suspicious because that's the sort of thing that you say uh, when you are worried that every other aspect of what you're about to describe is asshole behavior. And it's uh, it's so, always used vaguely, so right? My mother-in-law is a kind woman, and here are 30 things she does that I hate and are incredibly mean and cruel and cruel to mean spe- me specifically. Uh, I'm suspicious, <laughs> and yes. I also think you kind of know what the right answer is here. Um, I also think there's a pivot in the middle of this letter from uh, my mother-in-law can be a jerk about the idea of jobs to uh, my mother-in-law wants to care full-time for my daughter. How do I handle that? Um, Which I feel like uh, there isn't enough of an adequate uh, reaching out to the the husband, the father in this situation either, right? Like, like all we hear about what the dad thinks is he doesn't want to hurt his mom's feelings, but like this is first and foremost a parent decision, like mm-hmm. as a, as a joint teamwork thing. And uh, what does what does your husband think about the fact that his mom thinks that jobs are horrible and the only the only real work is motherhood? Like, yeah. does he think that's okay? Is he gotta worried say, about his daughter being raised with that attitude? Gotta say, not super. Important with the husband so far. Uh, I realize I'm only getting like secondhand information from this letter, but uh, if all he said is, I don't want to hurt my mom's feelings, uh, guy, come on, come on, man. And, and that is what's wonderful about this too, right? Is like you, this is so much like a type of person. This is like the Anita Bryant thing of like this incredibly strong personality this strong-willed, forceful person who's like, women should do these, like, domestic things only. Um, But she's clearly kind of got her son, like, cowed. Um, Oh, yeah, absolutely, yes. that's kind of amazing that you will often see this type of person who will explicitly say things like, a woman's place is in the home with a heterosexual husband, uh, reproducing biological children, um, doing X, Y, and Z, and not all these other things. Those are men's provenance. Um, But then will be like a pretty domineering personality within that field. Um, yeah, and, it's and you know, kind I, of I don't want to generalize, but but here comes a really big generalization. Yes, um, let's do it. I feel like uh, this attitude of you know uh, a woman. Uh, it's better to be a real mom on welfare than to work full time. That's is such really a trolly thing it's to less say. About, like the values of like motherhood specifically, and more about the values of finding alternative um, ways to be in charge or to exert power or pressure on people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say you know like it's better to be a real mom on welfare, like that says to me that you. Think think that it is like it is about like how you are raising the kids and that is the only way that the kids will be raised for the mom to be you know declaring what happens next and and uh, what the values are and and how they're executed and it sounds like she did a good job with her son because so far at least in this letter i see no evidence that her son disagrees with his mom about anything and yeah. is in fact more worried about his mom's feelings than anyone else's feelings including his daughter which seems yeah. weird yeah so yeah step one uh you should demean Bev to your daughter, um, which is not to say, like, kid, I got something to tell you. Your grandma's a real piece of shit. Um, <laughs> but you you get to and should say things like, I really disagree with that. Here's what I think is valuable about, like, having a career. Um, here are the ways in which I value being a parent and also having outside employment and outside interests and outside opportunities. Um, I disagree very strongly with your grandmother, and I hope that you know uh, that you have a lot of options in life um, mm-hmm. and that if you decide, you know, my approval and love for you is not dependent on whether or not you become a parent um, and, like, replicate my own choices. And I think you need to, like, say that pretty strongly and pretty often. Oh, yeah. Um, and I also think you can challenge Bev when she says that shit and you're around. Like, you guys should probably increase the conflict you two are experiencing. Like, you say, I know Bev badmouths me as a parent, um, and it, that, the, that it's followed up with, I'm mostly concerned about my daughter, suggests to me that you haven't addressed that. Um, yeah. And mm-hmm. I think you should. Um, I think yeah. you you and your husband as a team get to say, like, Bev, it's fine if you disagree with the way that we live our life, but, like, it's not okay uh, for you to say, I mean, I don't know if she's saying this to your husband, if she says it when you're in the room, if she says it to other family members, but just to say, like, I'm going to ask you to respect my choices, um, and and I'll do the same. Um, That's really fair, and if she can't do that, like, you get to say, I've asked you to stop, uh, and I'm going to, you know, get out of here. Like, you don't have to sit around and hear her say you're a bad mom because you have a job. 
Um, yeah. And you should be pushing back on that. And you need to get your husband on that same page. Like, you need to make it really clear there are worse things in the world than hurting someone's feelings. Your mom is saying, uh, you know, your mom is saying really damaging shit to our kid. Um, and and I have heard our kids say things like, I shouldn't go to school or college or worry about my grades, which is, I think, I hope you both can agree, is not something you want for your daughter. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly it. And hopefully they need to get on the same page so they can then prevent present a united front both to Bev and their daughter. Exactly. On both sides, they need to be saying, look, this is not really something where there's disagreement. Being an asshole isn't nice. Uh, yeah. Demeaning working moms isn't nice, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, and it's just wild to think that like, that, that like, oh, you'll just be a mom someday. So at the age of nine, you shouldn't try to learn like cursive. <laughs> like she's not going to yeah, be a mom in the next know, uh, addition and multiplication. Right. Like, that's... like that, that's really insulting to like stay at home parents. Right. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you need to know math to like balance a fucking <laughs> household budget and go to the grocery sure. store and like manage your family's investments and retirement accounts and do your taxes. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, these are skills that, you know, being a stay-at-home parent, you don't just sit around and intuit things all day, right? Like, <laughs> I living... feel like that's the sort of job that uh, you don't need any training for or experience. Yeah. You just, you you just still wing have it to, day You by still day. have to live in society unless she's like an <laughs> off-the-grid parent. Like, you're going to have to do things like interact with other human beings and the government and and. I will say Society. that this letter would make a lot more sense if they were living in a compound with no communication with the outside world. Suddenly. Sure. Yeah. Both might have some good points. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to worry about this because someone else is already, like, paying the utilities. Uh, yeah, exactly. all you need to know is whatever. Um, but you don't. You don't live in a compound. This is nonsense. <laughs> you get to call it nonsense. Um, you've, mm-hmm. you've got to push back. Get into a and value. already in a battle, so embrace yeah. it. Exactly. You're like, Bev's just the only one admitting she's out here fighting. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you have to start throwing things at her or calling her names, um, but you absolutely need to start saying things like, yeah, you should worry about grades. Um, yep. Education is important. That is a value that we have as a family. And, and like, you don't have to, like, nine-year-olds should not be worrying a lot about whether or not they're going to make a great mom. Like, that's just not a concern a nine-year-old needs to have. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of context in between now and motherhood where yeah. they can, you know, figure Worry that out. Worry about being a great nine-year-old, you know? Worry about <laughs> figuring out whether you prefer, like, you know, sketching to kickball or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You've got other shit on your plate. Um, yeah. <laughs> Very busy uh, nine-year-old. Yeah, start start countering that stupid ass messaging, um, and uh, make it clear to your husband that not hurting his mother's feelings needs to not be his primary goal in life as an adult and a father. Like, good gravy, yeah. sir. Um, get it together. Oh man! All right. Well, I'm very glad I read that one because that means you get to read the next one, and the subject line of this one is really oh just nuts. Woo! Thank you. Uh, do it. Okay. Yeah. Let's do this. Um, <laughs> Subject, spanking bribe. Dear Prudence, my mother recently asked my sister if I, uh, and I, if anyone ever physically abused us. Both of us recalled being spanked, my sister with a wooden spoon, by our father at the request of our mother. She became upset at this, and to lighten the mood, I joked that she could buy me something as repayment. She agreed to, but that she wouldn't feel better. I allowed her to anyways. Should I feel bad about letting her do this? I currently don't. I feel like it's the least she can do, because in addition to spanking me when I was younger, she has emotionally abused and manipulated me throughout my life, something she's only reconciled with in the past year. And I've struggled with some of the long-term impacts of spanking, such as depression, anxiety, and abusive relationships. I also don't feel like it's my job to make her feel better about having spanked me as a kid. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. Uh, well, okay. So, so first of all, um, the question here is, should I feel bad about letting her do this? And I feel like most of the time, the answer to should I feel bad is you already feel bad and you're trying to deal with it. You wouldn't mm. be writing this letter otherwise. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, obviously, um, there are a, a, a lot of different ways to talk about uh, spanking and physical punishment for kids and like how this dovetails into abuse and emotional abuse. And this is yeah, sort of like a complicated nexus here. This this uh, definitely does not sound like it was like era appropriate low right. key spanking. This sounds like the mom would periodically demand it uh, and that it was coupled with a lot of emotional abuse. And it, I, I assume this was like pretty prolonged, painful Spanking. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know uh, that sounds like more of an issue to me uh, than whether or not uh, you got your mom to buy you a present to make up for it. Like you say, the, the letter writer says um, she, some, that she's only reconciled in the past year with her emotional abuse. Like that doesn't sound like a fully reconciled sentence to me. You know what I mean? Like if, if your mom is still like, "Hey, were you ever abused?" Oh wow, really? I did that. Here's a gift card. Like that says to me that there's still some issues that need to be processed and worked through definitely on the mom's end and almost certainly on the letter writer's end as well, right? Like this doesn't sound like we're operating from like a neutral baseline of everything is now fine. My mom bought me a present to make up for all of the spankings and I feel bad about it. This feels like it's operating from a baseline of I'm still upset about this. I'm still working through it. And like now this weird thing got thrown at me in the middle. What should I do? Right. Well, and I want to say too, yeah, I I mean, I'm I'm with you. Like, no, letter writer, I don't think you need to think like, oh man, now, now, now I've done something really awful. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think this is going to work. Like, I don't think you're going to feel great about the stuff she buys you. But, like, it, it seems really significant to me that, like, the mom asked, were you guys ever physically abused? Because on some level, she is trying to reckon with her own memories of, mm-hmm. you know, we all want to believe that we are good people. Um, most people who commit abuse don't think of themselves as abusers. So, she is in that sort of like nascent, painful stage of increasing self-awareness where she's sort of saying, how did you experience this? Did anybody ever hurt you? And you said, yep, you. Um, you mm-hmm. you asked her dad to spank us. It sounds like a lot. It sounds like painfully. It sounds like with a wooden spoon. Um, and, and I consider that abuse. Um, yep. And then it says, she became upset at this. And to lighten the mood, I joked that she could buy me something. And that to me says... Um, you know, you you were in a really difficult position. Like, it's really difficult to talk to somebody about abuse that they've, like, enacted against you, and they're only just starting to get how bad it is. Do you know what I mean? It's like when you try to yeah. apologize to somebody and you think what you did is, like, a 1 to 2 on a scale of 1 to 10, and they're like, no, 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 it's actually an 8 or a 9, and the fact mm-hmm. that you are kind of apologizing for it actually feels worse than if you denied it. Do you know, it can bring up bigger Absolutely, feelings. Yes. So it yeah. sounds like part of you just felt like, oh, I can't comfort my mom at the realization that she contributed to my physical abuse. I'm not mm-hmm. ready to do that. Um, this makes me uncomfortable. I do not want, like, I, I can't sit here and watch her cry. I would feel like a monster, but I also can't, like, help her work through this now because she's just starting to deal with it. I need I need a distraction. I need something else. So it's sort of like, well, buy me something and that'll make up for it. And mm-hmm. you knew and your mom knew that that wasn't really what you wanted to say in the moment. But it was like the easiest way for you to say, let's let's stop right now. I'm not ready to go further. So Absolutely. in that sense, I think your strategy, you know, I, I, I don't think you should sit around like being really hard on yourself about it. I understand why you did it. Um, it. You know, you did not compel or force your mother to do anything. You did not drive her into debt. Like, mm-hmm. let's keep it in perspective. I don't think it will be a like healthy or effective long term strategy. But what you were saying was we can't keep having this conversation right now. Yeah, and you know, I, I feel like anytime the um, the response to a a question like that, you know, like like were you ever abused is like a really tough question to ask as a parent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's like that's a sign of a very awkward, poorly handled attempt to reach out and acknowledge like some huge mistakes were made in your parenting, and that's really tough. And uh, it sounds like the the mother here is not really doing a great job of that, and it also sounds like. Uh, the mother is not really doing a good job in the context of where her relationship with the letter writer is. You know, like the letter writer still is holding on to a lot of anger and, and anxiety and depression and abusive relationships. Like there were a lot of consequences to this that probably the mom isn't even aware of. Um, right. And that to me is also like kind of a big red flag of something that needs to be dealt with um, for the letter writer. Not not for obviously the relationship with the mom here is secondary to me to the relationship the letter writer has with herself and with, you know, her own mental state and health and right. taking care of herself first and foremost. And what I'm what I'm seeing is someone who isn't ready to deal with this and isn't ready to talk to their mom about how 
um, about how this past behavior affected them and how this past behavior, you know, led to all of these negative emotional experiences and and mental health issues and still needs to kind of work through that too. So the, and and even the question of, should I feel bad about how I handled this? Just that says to me too, that someone who's still like anxious and worried and worried about how they're impacting their parents and worried about like their relationship with others rather than their own current state and like, you know, making sure that they're okay. Um, Which says to me, you know, this is definitely an opportunity for perhaps therapy or talking to someone else or, or, or trying to, to heal themselves rather than worrying about whether, you know, they got a gift too many from their mom, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and I think this is a good opportunity for you to ask, like, what do I want out of my relationship with my mom? Um, mm-hmm. Because if you feel like, honestly, if I never talk to her again, that'd be great. Consider that option. Um, if it's, I need a break, like if she's going to start to explore this stuff, uh, I might be able to hear her talk about it in a little while, but right now, as she's just starting to come to terms with it, I can't be a part of that. And I need to tell her like, mom, I I think you should deal with this in therapy. I encourage you to really like reexamine your past behavior, but I can't talk about this with you right now. Um, I need a little break. I need a little space. Um, Mm -hmm. that's also allowed if it's, uh, I think I need to keep my mom in my life to keep a certain form of peace. Um, but I am not willing to have conversations with her that go much deeper than how's work, how's the movies, are you reading anything good lately? Um, then that's a choice you can make too. And I, and I think you should kind of think through, you know, am I willing to at some point or under certain circumstances have conversations with my mom where I'm honest with her about how the abuse I experienced as a child affected me? And if the answer to that is yes, you know, think through what would I need from my mom? What would I need for myself? Um, what kind of like therapeutic supervision would I want in that conversation? Would I want a mediator? Would I want to like set certain limits? Um, and if that's a goal, figure out what you would need to work towards it. Like maybe you could say to your mom, look, I know I had to really shut that conversation down the last time we had it. I do want to talk about it eventually, but I can't, I cannot comfort you. Um, if this is difficult for you, if you feel guilt or shame or sadness or resentment, um, I cannot help you with those feelings. Um, and so if those come up, I'm going to need to exit the conversation. We're going to need to pray, take a break. I cannot parent you in that moment. Um, and that's, I think, a really fair limit to set. So so just yeah. think through, like, what would you like? What do you need? Um so that you don't have to put yourself in a position where you're sort of casting about for an exit strategy and you're like, uh, buy me something and it'll be fine. Um, like you can you can make other choices about how you want to relate to your mom. And maybe it's just right. going to be, mom, uh, I care about you. I, I'm, I'm glad we have a better relationship now. I can't talk about my childhood with you. If you ask me about it, I'm going to end the conversation. That's okay, too. You can you can do that. You are not obligated to do anything um, that, that you don't feel up to doing. But um, yeah, I think that's exactly it. And li- like you said, setting goals and then figure out how to achieve them. If, if I, Right now, it seems like the letter writer's goal has to be getting herself into the place where she feels, you know, secure and safe and less anxious and less upset about all of this and less like she has to be defending her mom and, and keeping right. her mom feeling okay. Right. Yeah. And if, if it feels to you like there's a part of your mom that really wants to understand um, how you experienced your childhood and to try to make amends and try to change. That's one thing. If you feel like mostly she just wants you to make her feel better and reassure her that it's not that bad and that you're fine now, feel free to tap out of that conversation. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay, so uh, the next letter, again, about families uh, and different experiences of reality. Um, yeah. I'll go ahead and take this one. The subject line of this is, my wife doesn't get my transition. Dear Prudence, I've recently come out as a trans man. My wife has always said that I am, quote, a bloke with girl parts, and I have always told her that I don't really feel like a woman. She was initially supportive when I came out, but she keeps saying things that are a little off. I'm not going to get mad about occasional pronoun slippage, as it's hard to change a habit, but she snaps at me whenever I correct her. She's asked me not to come out over Facebook and discouraged me from coming out publicly, but I need people to start using the right name and pronouns, and that can't really be done without coming out. The icing on the cake was when she recently asked me to go to L-Fest with her, and I said that I didn't know if I could. Her response was, well, you are a woman after all. I'm undecided whether this was intentionally hurtful or not, as she laughed when I looked at her, stunned. She's also asked that we don't tell her children about the transition. She also tells me that I'm not getting a mastectomy and that I can just keep binding. I have told her that this is a deal breaker for me if she's really against it, and she insists that she isn't. 
I mean, I would say the things your wife are saying are not a little off. Yeah, um, I think they are yes. a lot off. Um, no, there, there's um, there are genuinely people who, uh, when they first hear that someone is transitioning, um, are well-meaning but pretty clueless, um, and are genuinely trying to understand and slip up and make mistakes. Um, and that's pretty clearly not what this is, right? Yeah. Dealing with a partner's transition can often be messy and tricky, and it takes time. Um, this is not mostly well-meaning with some mistakes. Um, this is your wife's lying to you. She's she's saying, oh, no, I'm not against your transition. Just don't transition. Like, don't tell anyone. Don't pursue any of the medical procedures that you feel are necessary. Um, don't, uh, like come with me to like a lesbian gathering that is like explicitly woman focused uh i think of you as a woman like your your wife does not support your transition um and yeah, i'm so absolutely. sorry absolutely and and i think there's also you know th- this feels like a situation where someone is sort of trying to lean really hard hard into their existing emotional relationships with someone you know what i mean if yeah. someone says oh listen i'm supportive of your transition like that's great uh, I still love you. Everything's great. And you've been you've been married to this person and, and you have a child together. Like your goal is going to be to make sure that that remains the case. Right. Uh, that that your partner is actually on your side and is going to be, uh, you know, working with you and helping you overcome all of the extremely vast and varied obstacles uh, to a transitioning trans man. Like there's there's a lot there that you need to deal with. And it feels to me like the letter writer is like really, really, really trying to more than meet half way oh um, wow yes yeah and 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 as a result uh isn't doing a very good job of taking care of himself again i mean i I hate to harp on that but this feels like another situation where it's you know someone is more worried about um not misunderstanding their wife's uh statements and their wife's extremely cruel jokes like regardless of whether or not she laughed afterwards well you are a woman after all is like a horrible thing to say i i I mean the laughter to me felt like the worst part i mean that yeah like letter writer just so you know that was intentionally hurtful your wife Mm -hmm. said that on purpose and she laughed um because she was winning and she thought that Mm -hmm. that was like delightful um Mm -hmm. like and, and I don't even want to come down on you for, like, you're not doing a good enough job taking care of yourself. It sounds like your wife has really leaned on, Christian, as you said, um, the strength of your entire relationship and is saying, I love you. I support you. So obviously you have to believe me and, and you want to believe her. So the fact mm-hmm. that she then says all these terrible things, um, tries to you know, tell you to stay in the closet, tries to tell you not to pursue medical or social or public aspects of transition. Um, The part of your brain that's like, well, I can't get rid of the premise that my wife's a good person who loves me. So clearly I'm misunderstanding these events. Clearly there's something else going on here. Um, And I'm so sorry. You are seeing and interpreting these situations correctly. Like um, she was trying to hurt you. She does not support this. Um, She is against your transition. Like, she was perfectly happy to sort of jokingly acknowledge your gender identity um, when it was just saying things like, you're basically a guy with girl parts. But when it comes to saying, no, this is who I am. This is my name. These are my pronouns. This is how I would like to live and and exist in the world. Um, Boy, when it comes down to actually, like, backing up her words with actions, she she is done. I think that's absolutely true. And I, I would also say on top of that, like, like I don't I don't say this lightly, but I think at a certain point, uh, Lederetta, you have to to ask yourself whether you should be thinking in terms of maintaining your relationship as a couple or um, thinking about what actions you should be taking as an individual, as someone who's, whose own self has a lot of value and has to take whatever steps are necessary to make sure that you are in a supportive and safe and welcoming place. And yeah repeatedly sort of like like there's a lot of examples in this letter of reaching out and trying to like approach this as a couple and it just does not work right um, and i think that that says that maybe you should be thinking about like what can you do as just one person what what steps should you be taking as as a as an individual to make sure that you're getting all of the support that you need that you're doing what's right for you not just what your partner is kind of shaming you into doing um right. and, and that's tough and that's a difficult situation but it's also a lot better than constantly trying to just go along with whatever your wife is saying because you want yep. to believe the best in her 
And I think one thing that you might find helpful is to say to your wife, because she, like she's she's saying that like two and two add up to 19, right? She's saying like, oh, I support your transition. Um, but at every step of the way, when you say here is what my transition is involving, she says, no, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're, I, I think you just, the conversation that you get to have next is, um, here's what my transition's going to look like over the next couple of weeks. Um, it will involve coming out over Facebook. It will involve coming out publicly. Uh, it will involve telling people uh, the name and pronouns that um, they should use when they talk to or about me. Um, it will not involve going to uh, like women themed events. Um, it you know will involve pursuing like certain medical aspects of transition. Um, if you don't support those things, you do not in fact support my transition. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to do them. And I don't I, like I'm I'm going to come out over Facebook. I'm going to tell my friends um, like my gender identity and ask for their support. And I hope very much that your the response from your friends is better um, than the one that your wife has given. But I think to say these are the things that I need to do um, and, and I will do them with or without your support. I would prefer your support. Um, but I will not stay closeted um, or neglect to pursue necessary care um because you don't want me to i can't do that like um, you know if yeah, that means our relationship is going to come to an end that means our relationship is going to come to an end but this is necessary for me yeah i think you're exactly right i mean obviously this is a tough decision but it's also the sort of tough decision that you write in for advice about and, and Mallory, i think you're 100 percent correct this is, no, this is a situation just... where you have to take care of uh, making sure that you are supported and, and and doing what you need to do to transition not just um coddle your wife yeah, and I'm just sorry. It would have been a lot easier if your wife had said, "I'm against this. I don't support it. I'm not okay with it. This is the deal breaker for us." Because then at least you would have that information. It would be sad. It would be painful. Um, but you would not feel like you were doubting your own sense of reality, um, and you wouldn't feel this sense of confusion, bewilderment, um, and and sense of being abandoned. And I think this is just a bad way to respond. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, there's, there's an extent to which there's a little bit of gaslighting going on here too. And I think that's, that's an extremely oh, a lot, a lot of gaslighting. And it just doesn't help an already difficult situation. Yeah. No, to say I support your transition. I think of you as a woman. <laughs> uh, don't tell yeah. anyone. Don't tell our kids. Don't pursue any medical aspects of transition. Um, don't tell anyone your name or pronouns. Uh, like, motherfucker, what do you think transition is? Uh, like, if it doesn't include, and, and, and which is, I'm sorry, that's not to suggest that everyone's transition has to include any or sure. all of those things. But but when, when someone is directly asking for and saying, like, these are the steps that I need to take, this is what I need to do, and the response is laughter, yes. and like, obviously, no, you can't do any of those things because they might impact me. Well, at that point, right, what exactly do you think a transition looks like? Yeah. No, and it's just like you can have anything on the menu you want as long as yeah. it's this, like a like a meatball sub. It's like that's not that's not true yeah. support. That's just bullshit. Um, this is not fall under the category of like a well-meaning cis partner who is like occasionally fouling up but trying yeah. their best. This is gaslighting, transphobic nonsense. Um, and I'm so sorry. And I hope that you can tell other people in your life about your transition and that they will support and love you and just yeah. look after you and help you look after yourself. Um, because it's a lot to go through a transition and a separation um, around the same time. And I'm yep. really sorry. Um, but I also think you know, think about what it will be like just to be able to tell people that you want to tell, just to be able to say, this mm-hmm. is my name. Um, I think you will find that profoundly meaningful. And I think it will be really good for yeah, your kids. Absolutely I think it does. will be good for your kids to have a, like a parent who like, who's not closeted, who's not feeling guilty about who he is because his wife mm-hmm. tries to convince him that that's wrong. Like this will be good for them and this will be good for you. Um, and just fuck that yeah, noise. Fuck it, it hard. It's nonsense. Take us away on the next one. Subject of this one is uh, cousin using girlfriend for med school credentials. Dear Prudence, my cousin Anthony has been dating this girl, Violet, for a year or two now. 
Anthony was never very good at school, barely passing high school and struggling to get into a foreign medical school. He moved back to the U.S. for his last years of school and met Violet on a dating app. In the beginning, he's repeatedly said he didn't like her very much and didn't find her attractive. However, she is extremely smart and attends one of the best medical schools in the country. He has just told me they're planning to, quote, couples match at the end of school, which essentially means that they plan to link their applications so that they match into the same hospital slash specialty. This is traditionally meant for married slash engaged couples. When I asked Anthony if he was couples matching with Violet because he planned to commit to her long term or whether he was doing it because she will almost certainly help him match into a better program, he ignored me. My dilemma is whether I should advise her not to couples match with him. Typically, I would never think of getting involved in something like this, but as someone who worked hard to obtain a graduate degree myself, I'm, re- I'm uncomfortable with this. I've been told my- that based on his grades and his status as a foreign student, it is very likely that he might not match at all on his own, and without matching, he can't become a doctor. Should I try to talk to Violet? I know she is an adult who can make her own choices, but I fear that my cousin hasn't been completely honest about his prospects, and she doesn't fully understand how badly couples matching with him could damage her future. Wow. Yeah. Exciting medical school hijinks. (laughs) Uh, First of all, uh, cousin using girlfriend for med school credentials uh, definitely suggested to me a much more thrilling and caper-related situation. Uh, I'm disappointed that this is entirely about matching into grad schools, which is uh, a thing I hear too much about already. But, you know, we we work with the material we're given. (laughs) We do. Um, Well, first of all... not not to um, over-explain this, but uh, the way that that couples matching works, um, I'm not I'm not super super um, familiar with how it works for medical school specifically, but I know how it works for other PhD programs and other graduate programs. And uh, basically, you will never match into a program you wouldn't have gotten into anyway with couples matching. What couples matching does is it lets you right. prioritize different schools and try to make sure that both of you if you would have matched into a certain program, match into programs near each other. So you don't even generally pick like the same school. You pick schools that are near each other so that you can like be within a commuting distance of one another. Um, so, so the downside for Violet here is pretty low. Um, unless she really, 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 really like is willing to shoot herself in the foot over this, she would have to work pretty hard to sabotage her own prospects couple matching. And and on top of that, early, early in the letter, we see that uh, she is extremely smart and attends one of the best medical schools in the country. So I think it's a, it's a safe bet that she's not stupid and that she probably understands the process pretty well and she understands sort of what the trade-offs are. Um, so I, I would hesitate to advise any sort of like intervention or or jumping in and like trying to mess with this just on the basis of Violet seems like a, a very smart and capable uh, woman who can kind of handle herself and is aware of what it, she's getting into. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that is helpful to remember is is this is not a situation where like he's going to get into Johns Hopkins because he's riding Violet's coattails where they're like, oh, normally we would never <laughs> right, but you but, guys are so cute let's give him a medical degree so we can keep her. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the letter writer says part of their concern is that they like uh, worked really hard to get a graduate degree. And so I think they they feel like there might be an element of fraud. Um, So just bear in mind, if he does not have like the credentials to get into a school, this is not going to be what makes or breaks it. Um, So that's helpful, I think, because like my first thought on reading this was like, oh, no, he's going to become a doctor and he's going to be like Dr. Nick from The Simpsons, um, all because this like successful woman was like, you know, her coattails were nearby. But that's that's not how it works. So with that in mind, you know, it sounds like a shady situation. I, I don't quite feel that the letter writer has enough evidence to justify intervention Especially given that this is your cousin, you it doesn't say whether or not you've ever met this woman. Like when they first started dating, he said he didn't like her that much and didn't find her attractive. Um, that's kind of scuzzy behavior. Um, but I think it is also well within like the realm of normal human behavior to sometimes go on a couple dates with someone you don't feel crazy about. Right. Yeah. I, I would. I would like to just point out, Anthony definitely sounds like he kind of sucks. Like, let's be clear here. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't like Anthony. <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't sound like a great guy, but it's not like, you know, he's not calling you regularly now and saying, like, she's terrible. I don't really care for her. Um, She means nothing to me, which if you had that kind of information, like that would be relevant to their relationship as it is now. And and she would probably want to know. But as it is, you know, the most you have hard evidence of is that he was like, you know, 
rude and churlish about her at the beginning of their relationship and then apparently gave her a second chance. Um, And then, you know, yeah, beyond that, you don't know. Like, you you asked, are you really thinking of committing to her? Do you think it's just going to help you with the program? He didn't answer. Yeah, I mean, he didn't answer because that's an incredibly rude question to ask. (laughs) Fair. Yeah. Um, Like, that's that's legitimate, especially like again, like if you guys are not especially close, and he's been with her for a couple years at this point, he might really mm-hmm. like her by now. Like he might have realized, that, like it is also possible he's just totally using her and he's t- just a total jerk. But it's also possible he really cares right. for her, um, and so it, it's kind of fair for him not to answer that question again, given that you have not seen like his secret basement of like my twenty seven point plan for tricking Violet into getting me a career. Right, yeah. I mean, I will point out too, as as a conspiracy goes, <laughs> this one seems not particularly effective or like that much easier than just like getting into a better school on your own. Like there's, there's really, like, I don't think that there's many ways in which the outcome for Anthony is anything other than he gets into a school he probably could have gotten into already, but this time he has to stay dating Violet for a while. Like that that sounds like, like not that much easier or more effective for him. As like schemes go, uh, I would rate it at about a two. Like, he could definitely be scheming a lot better. Yeah. It definitely doesn't feel like it rises to the level of um, a scheme that we need to 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 call up Violet and let her know about based solely on uh, letter writers, you know, detective work that this might be kind of sketchy. And and again, I think right. I'd be very surprised if Violet wasn't aware already of the risks and trade-offs that she was making. You know, she's smart. She's in med school. Like, she, she probably kind of knows what she's getting into. I, I kind of like your just like shining faith in medical students of like she's smart. You can't pull the wool over Violet's eyes. Like, you know, smart people can also get manipulated. <laughs> I, I would say as someone without a graduate degree, they seem impossible to me. And anyone who gets them, I would follow them into battle. Fair enough. But uh yeah, the you say you you're you're afraid uh, that Violet doesn't understand how badly couples matching with him could damage her future. I mean, maybe this is a lousy relationship and she will later feel like she wasted a couple of years of her life on that guy. But again, that's not an emergency. A lot of us go through like lousy Mm -hmm. relationships we later regret. Um, Certainly no medical school is going to turn down an excellent candidate because she is like dating a subpar medical student. (laughs) So it's not as if she stands to lose out on something just by being associated yeah, that, that's with a great him. point it's it's very unlikely that this would have any negative effect it might maybe conceivably have a slight positive effect on anthony and the 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 under running thread through all of this the the kind of tone of it feels more to me worried about anthony getting something he doesn't deserve than about violence right i don't want him to get away with this yeah exactly and i don't think he's going to get away with a whole lot like i think if he's not able to cut it in medical school, he will get washed out. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you should let this one alone. Yep, absolutely agree. Don't bother. All right. Next one is titled Dress Size Denial. Dear Prudence, I accompanied my girlfriend when she went clothes shopping the other day. She hates shopping for clothes and says that it's hard on her self-esteem. And I think I might know why. She was routinely looking at dress sizes two or three sizes down from where I would have guessed her to be and getting frustrated when they didn't fit or weren't flattering. I had no idea how to point this out in a way that wouldn't make her feel uncomfortable. When I tried a comparison saying, well, I'm a size 16, so she told me there was no way I was a size 16, which baffled me into silence because that is my size in pretty much every store. I don't know whether I should say something or whether I should just back away from this sensitive topic. It's not likely she'll volunteer for more clothes shopping soon, but I wonder if you had any thoughts. I don't take a ton of questions uh, about like how do I talk to my partner about appearance um, or size or how they see themselves um, because generally those letters feel like how can I say something very cruel to my partner yes. uh, and will you give me permission and it's 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 usually somebody who has stopped talking honestly with their partner for about 10 years and uh, would like to start by saying something really savage yeah. and it's just like that's not a great re-entry point um, but uh, this one seemed like there were it was not like motivated by a desire to try to change the partner in question. Um, and it seems like part of what they would like to do is help relieve a point of distress. Um, 
And and I, I do think sometimes it is worthwhile if you have a good relationship and if you both love one another to sometimes try to have difficult conversations about things you feel really sensitive about or that are very difficult to discuss. And I thought this seemed like a good candidate for at least possibly having that conversation. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's certainly true. And I think everything I see in here, it definitely sounds like the letter writer is coming from a place of like concern and caring about their girlfriend, not one of I'm looking for an opportunity to be an unnecessary jerk. And will you help me come up with the best zingers to deliver? it uh it feels definitely mm-hmm. you know like this is coming from a place of um of of love and compassion rather than from a place of cruelty which is absolutely sort of the baseline you're looking for here um in terms of how to actually say anything obviously that's really tough because it sounds like there's there's already been attempts at conversations and attempts to like talk about this so um you know the the number of options is sort of limited like at, at this point it seems to me that that one way is to just sort of barrel through and say no listen like i'm serious i think that you are not uh you're not handling your sizing well you're not looking at um what looks best on you effectively and you're more focused on numbers than on what actually looks good on you i think that's a really tough conversation to have and one that can kind of backfire yeah. pretty spot pretty spectacularly that also feels like, so uh, just to like, what you're saying by itself is pretty value neutral, which is just like, hey, that dress doesn't fit. Do you want me to grab you a bigger size? Um, that, uh, you know, of course, comes with, for your girlfriend, a ton of emotions, a, a lot of sense of like her own self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I imagine things other people have said to her in the past. Um, so, uh, you know, bringing it up as like a big issue, uh, I do not think would be helpful. Um, I think like, it would have been appropriate to say in that moment, like if she was frustrated that something didn't fit, um, it's definitely okay to say, hey, do you want me to grab a bigger size? Um, and, and I don't want to be Pollyanna-ish and say, obviously, whenever someone hears that, it's fine. Um, but it's also like appropriate to say if somebody's trying on clothes, they're frustrated that it doesn't fit um, to just like gently and lightly say, do you want me to try this in a different, even to say like in a different size, like if it's really hard for her, um, if, and, you know, you don't have to force it. Like, if she responds with, like, nope, or I'm feeling really uncomfortable, I'd like to leave, this is really difficult for me, of course, then you can handle that. But it would have been okay, and it would be in the future, um, if she's trying something on, she's expressing dissatisfaction, she says it doesn't fit, to offer to get a different size. Um, and and let it lie at that, I think. You know, you're not going to be able to single-handedly... Um, resolve any issues that she might have about her own appearance or or clothing size or or anything like that. But that would not be something that would be unacceptable to say. So I think the kind of question is, is it okay to address this with my girlfriend? And if so, what can I say? And I think it is because part of what you want to have that conversation around is, I saw you go through something that was painful for you and I didn't know what to say. And I want you to know that I'm here if you ever want to talk about it. I can't fix like all of these issues for you. I cannot um, fix like the messaging we send people who are over a size 10. Um, I can't fix the things other people may have said to you in the past or the like kind of self-talk you might be giving yourself right now. But I just want you to know, like when we went shopping the other day, I could see that it was hard for you. And I just want you to know that I love you and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that was your experience. And I don't want to pretend I didn't notice because I'm worried about saying something that comes across wrong. I mean, obviously, you 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 want to try to say things that come across well. Um, but I think to just say, if there's ever anything I can do to make it easier, um, or if you ever want to talk about it, or if you'd rather do that alone, or if you'd rather I come with you, I just want you to know I'm available and I love you. Yeah. Um, and I think you look fantastic. Yeah, you know, that's um, true. And I think um, I think you're, you're kind of like cutting to the heart of this here, which is <clears throat> the problem is not clothes. The problem is not sizing or like knowing how to shop effectively. It's a little bit clothes and sizing, though. I do, I do want to throw that out there. It is somewhat that, but yes. Oh, yeah. sure, sure. Yes, absolutely. Yes. But you're right that the, the core issue here is one of empathy and one of caring about one another more than one about, um, you know, how to look your best. Like that is that is definitely a part of it. And there's sort of certainly a lot of um, pressures and forces uh, from society and from capitalism broadly that uh, impact that. But I think the thing that that a partner can most directly sort of help with is that that thing of like, listen, if you ever need help with this, if this is something that's tough, I don't like seeing you struggle with something. And I'm here for you to help figure out how to handle that and how to make yourself feel, um, you know, the best that you possibly can. Yeah, even if it's just a listen, even if it's not necessarily to fix it. Um, And again, you don't have to add more to that conversation because that might be in itself a pretty difficult and emotionally heavy conversation uh, without saying, and by the way, I 
I want to bring up this other stuff. Um, but it is really fair to say like, hey, I told you I was a size 16 and you told me that you didn't think that was possible. Um, and I just want you to know I am a size 16. Mm. Um, and I think my my read on that letter, this is just me personally, is that part of what your girlfriend was saying was that sort of internalized like fat phobia that sort of everybody kind of picks up, um, which is that like you cannot be a size 16 because you're my girlfriend and I love you and I find you attractive. Mm-hmm. And a size 16 person couldn't be all of those That's things. That's a great point. Um, and I'm sure that that was not something she thought consciously, um, but that is like – a message that gets absorbed, like you will often hear people say like of a friend, oh, you're not fat. Because what they mean is, I like you. And I couldn't think highly of a fat person. Yeah. So um, to, to, to just, I think, again, because that way you're just sticking with like truths about yourself. You're not trying to guess her motives or or tell her that she needs to do something differently or say like, you're bad at picking out clothes for yourself and you've got to fix that. To just say like, just just to revisit that conversation, um, I am a size 16. I know my clothes. I buy them. I, I can show you the labels. Um, I'm happy, uh, like, talking about it. I mean, this is assuming that you are. It's, it, does, you know, it doesn't sound like the letter writer did not mention that they themselves had, like, um, any sort of, like, profound discomfort with being a size 16. But just, like, I am. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, so we just have a couple minutes and I really, really want to get to this last letter. So, uh, dive right in. Okay, let's do this. Cat stealing letter. This is it. The showstopper. Take us okay. home. Okay. The subject of this one is there's more than one way to steal that cat. Dear Prudence, for two years now, we've been caring for our neighbor's cat. She sleeps in our bed every night, is a wonderful companion and a godsend to my anxiety. The neighbors are neglectful. They do feed her, but a diet so poor, she almost starved into oblivion before we started supplementing her diet when she asks every few days. After a long overdue vet visit, they actually commented to us she probably would have died if you didn't feed her, as if that were amusing. We're leaving this rental soon, partly because these neighbors are as inconsiderate to us as to the cat. We're polite but cold with them and terrified to ask about the cat, but we know it's the right thing to do. Still, I'm not convinced they'd even notice if she just disappeared. If it's actually about ethics and catnapping, as you've recently discussed, what's the best way for us to word this request? All right, what do you got? Um, well, uh, first, I'm proud of you for being the leading luminary for uh, prospective cat thieves across the entire world. Good job. Um, obviously, you gotta don't have steal a good cat. reason to steal a cat. Uh, it sounds like these people don't really give a shit about their cat. I feel like the risk of being like, hey, man, uh, we love your cat. Your cat's great. Do you want to never have to feed it or take it to the vet again? We've got you covered. Seems like it would probably go over pretty well. Like, not being like, hey, uh, your assholes and your cat really hates you. We're taking your cat away. But just being like, we love your cat. Your cat is like family to us. We have to move. How would you feel about us adopting the cat from you? Uh, Framing it as, like, something that is positive and not um, a a crime. (laughs) That's sort of my my broad advice on cat thieving. Yes, I, I I think that that's really helpful. It's sort of like, would you do us a favor? Hey, she already spent so much time with us. They seem pretty chipper about it. They don't seem like the kind of like really grumbly people who are like, I won't take care of my cat, but no one else can have her. Right. Um, it sounds like uh, this would kind of spread sweetness and light everywhere. So I think um, definitely... Uh, Take that cat, but we will it not call way. it stealing. This is this is a rehoming. It's an adoption process, not not stealing. Do yeah. not steal cats. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, so okay, that I think we both agree on that. Let's say you ask and they say no, and 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 Christian, do you then say steal a cat? I mean. I don't know, Ma- Mallory. I'm. You know I mean, me. at that I'm point, they're going to know if the cat goes. I missing. might steal the cat, <laughs> but I'm not saying that's good advice. Mm-hmm. Um, I- I'm not saying like like people steal the cat. I'm just saying if it were me in that situation, the cat sleeps in my bed. I feed the cat. I take the vet to the cat. The the cat to the vet. Uh, there's a non-zero chance that I steal the cat. But again, it's a crime. I do not recommend it. <laughs> I certainly would not advise a letter writer to do it. I'm just speaking my truth here. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say, I think you should ask. I think they're likely to respond well. Um, you do also have the option of, like, calling whatever your city's, like, animal control services mm-hmm. are if they say no. Like, hey, there's a cat that, like, is sometimes neglected. Keep an eye on it. That might not be their top priority, so I realize that's an imperfect solution. Um, do I want to grant my, like, cat-stealing permission, given that the cat, is currently in good health, um, has recently been to the vet. Uh, you know, she probably would have died if you didn't feed her. 
that gives you permission. Yeah. You have my permission. I don't think you should start with stealing the cat. Um, I, I, I genuinely think there's an excellent chance that you can just have the conversation, do it all above board. Everyone's going to be happy. Yes. You can leave these monsters behind. Um, but yeah, when somebody says the cat would have died if you didn't feed her and there was not some like extenuating circumstance, like we were all struck with a horrible illness or like an apology um, and, and we're all bedridden ourselves for months. Um, yeah, you get to steal a cat when someone acknowledges that they would have killed it. Yeah, um, I think I think indirectly. we're in agreement here. Uh, start with asking, um, but cat theft is is potentially on the table after all alternatives have been exhausted for the cat's well-being. Yeah. But friends, that was a case-by-case basis. That does not give any of the rest of you permission to steal a cat. I don't feel comfortable uh, with having gone on record now as saying steal a cat. So again, uh, if you're not sure, sure. Yeah, I feel like we both committed a crime today. And... Um, Thanks. Yeah. No, I, you got to feed cats. Yeah. You got to feed them pretty regular. Uh, and if they are starved nearly to oblivion, you've done a bad job of stealing yeah, a cat. Terrible cat owner. I think we can all agree the neighbors suck. Let's go on the record there. Yes. Yeah. They can hang out with Anthony at his <laughs> crappy med school um, and just be jerks. All right. Uh, we have used up all of our studio time and then some. We really need to get going, but I'm so glad we got to tackle the cat thief. This was a delight. And uh, Mallory, as ever, you are as empathetic and uh, hilarious uh, at handling these problems as, as you constantly are. All right, my friend. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. And if you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. 